can kind of get tough when your desire is to help as many people as possible. You're doing something that was high ticket. I'm only going to work with executives. You know, you may be able to like really bring some pretty high revenue in, but that's not necessarily a broad strategy. We need to create a solution where we can deliver content for multiple clients, multiple customers that doesn't require us to show up on set to film it for every single time we get a sale. Hello, and welcome to the Founder Shares podcast. We're so happy that you've chosen to spend some time with us. I'm your host, Trevor Schmidt. I'm an attorney at Hutchison, a law firm in Raleigh, North Carolina. We work with founders and entrepreneurs in technology and life science companies, start up, operate, get funded, and exit. We are daily inspired by the people we work with and want a chance to share some of these stories with you, our listeners. So whether you're already an entrepreneur, want to be one someday, or are just fascinated by the stories of how a business goes from idea to success or not such a success, this podcast is for you. Today's guest is Dr. Nehemiah Mabry, a structural engineer, educator, entrepreneur, and literal rocket scientist. He's the founder of STEM Media, a media company that provides educational, creative content for science, technology, engineering, and math. You know, STEM. And for Dr. Nee, STEM has been a natural interest for him, even though it's not always the coolest thing to admit in grade school. I fell into the trap of saying I didn't like it because everybody else said they didn't like it. Like, you know, people are like, man, I can't stand math. I was like, yeah, yeah. And, and the truth of the matter is that I didn't really have any beef with math. And I didn't really, like, have any issue with it. I can't say that I loved it, but I did do pretty well in it. It was later on when I started to, like, get a little bit more confidence. So I said, you know what? I guess I am pretty good at this. I don't have to hate it because everybody else did. And so that's when I kind of opened, opened my heart to the STEM disciplines. Dr. Nee had some mentors that helped cultivate his passion for STEM, including his dad. And then one day, he applied to the NASA Summer High School Researcher Apprentice Program, also known as SHARP. I got in, I loved it. And you can tell me I wasn't a rocket scientist on day one. I was a rocket scientist. Like I had <laughs> my badge and everything. Truth of the matter, they had me doing like some website updates out. I don't know. Still it doesn't even much. matter, man. Come yeah, on, you're I a rocket scientist. Yeah. I mean, listen, when people say it's not rocket science, in my case, uh, it actually was rocket science. Uh, thank you. So <laughs> that was the beginning of my experience. I enjoyed it. It was a high school program. But when I became a senior in high school, transitioned to college, there wasn't another program. I couldn't still apply. So I just volunteered. I got a bunch of emails and I just hit everybody up that I had contact out there and said, hey, can I come in over the summer and just work in your lab? And I remember working that summer. I had a lot more hands-on responsibility that summer, even though it wasn't a formal internship and I wasn't getting paid anything. And so that was really what turned the page for me and allowed me to say, hey, this is this is me, right? And um, got in college, applied for some other, also what was another college internship, until I met Dr. Curtis Banks, who I mentioned not that long ago. And he created an opportunity for me to come on board and sort of work outside of like this form, this internship program. So basically, be a, a part-time worker. I think I did about 30 hours a week from undergrad all the way through, through graduate school. And I was able to do a number of, different jobs that I, we could get into. But yeah, I did a number of different things. I wasn't just updating websites the whole time. I did get into some actual rocket science uh, here and there. That's amazing. So like, well, as you look back, what was one of the favorite projects that you worked on while you were there? I'll give you two. One, 
I was involved in modeling combustion properties, right? Where you, you know, they did a lot of uh, their their engines were fueled by mixing, in some cases, liquid uh, nitrogen, liquid liquid oxygen. They were basically mixing at certain ratios that had to be calibrated that would give a certain level of combustion thrust. Man, that was that was the rocket science right there, right? Being able to just kind of model if I tweak this, if I change this, how does this property change and I had an incredible uh, mentor at the time, Joe Leahy. Shout out to him, who was also helping me with that. So that was one of the things I really enjoyed. The other thing I liked was, uh, which led to a dissertation for me, was structural health monitoring. And that was the process of embedding sensors into, like, structures, right? So that they have a nervous system in a sense. that you can identify when there was damage or whenever there was any type of uh, degradation throughout the life cycle of the space vehicle. And um, I was able to parlay that again into a research topic for my dissertation. But I would say that that was my favorite or my two favorite projects. Very cool. Now, talk to me a little bit. I, I just kind of wonder as well, kind of as you were coming up through NASA and, and through some of these other work opportunities that you have, can you talk a little bit of kind of a representation about other kind of minority individuals in the field that you were working with? And, and, and did you have, you, you mentioned your mentor and kind of the influence that he had on you, but yeah. kind of how important is representation in these fields and kind of in engineering, especially since that's the field you're in. Yep, hands down, hands down. I like to say you have to see it before you see it, know it before you know it, have it before you have it. And one way that you see it is obviously by having representation. Um, and I say one way, uh, intentionally. Now, I was coming up in Alabama. Alabama is the South. There are a lot of African-Americans in Alabama, but nevertheless, in the fields that I was in, the spaces I was in, um, as it relates to STEM, not so much. I had the benefit, though, of starting at an HBCU, a historically black university, Oakwood University. And being in those places, you don't have a second thought as to whether or not you belong in college because everybody's in college. Right. And then the reality of it is some people may wonder the value of it. That's not how the world is. But it's nice that there was a place at least where I was able to be affirmed, developed, confidence was strengthened. Right. In so many ways that I had something to offer in my pursuits, from the field of my pursuits as, a, as an African-American, because as I went on to the University of Alabama Huntsville, or I went on to work at NASA, it, it wasn't that many, right? And so it really started out with that validation that I received from seeing other people that look like me do things that I, I aspire toward. Um, but furthermore, it's important to be able to see it up here, right? And so when you see it with people, that's one of the ways you can picture it. And that is incredible because it gets tough. It just gets hard. It gets hard being the only, the loneliness of it. And it just gets hard because this is a hard path, period. Like those classes aren't always easy. And so you got to dig deep. You got to find some sort of like, for me, I would escape to my imagination and literally picture myself walking across the stage or picture myself doing an interview on Founder Shares, right? Talking about my experience back in college. Those are the things that allowed me to see it before I saw it, know it before I knew it, and to have it before I actually had it. And representation is in a very effective way of aspiring or empowering, rather, and activating so much of our underutilized potential mm -hmm. on this earth that lies into you know the black and brown community. Yeah, 100% agree with that because I think it's easy to understand, you know, that these fields are super challenging. Yeah. It's going to be hard. There are going to be days, anybody, everybody's going to question. Sure. 
can I take that next step? Can I take, you know, can I get through this exam? Can I get through this thesis? Whatever it's going to be. But then to have kind of that added challenge, like you said, of, of being one of the, the few or the only and, and not having a support group or, or, you know, not having that same type of encouragement. So I, I think it is super important and needs to be a continued part of the conversation just going forward. How do we encourage all populations to kind of get out and, and have these experiences and, and really tap into their potential? Absolutely. So maybe that is a good segue or transition to STEM media. So tell us what STEM media is, what, what is it you're doing, what you hope to accomplish? Yeah, so STEM media is an ed tech and media company that focuses on providing education and empowerment to underrepresented, predominantly underrepresented individuals in the fields of science, technology, engineering, and math. We provide content, community, and career opportunities for aspiring students and young professionals. And we do it through a number of ways, uh, whether it be digital media, on or offline events, as well as connecting with employers in higher education institutions that have opportunities available for this demographic. So I took a while before I was able to articulate it in that way uh, or even try to understand what it was, because what I knew early on is that I want to inspire people. And I knew that me as an individual, I can inspire a number of people, right? But there is also some additional leveraging that can come from building a platform, one that can not only just highlight my journey and my story, but can connect with others in their areas of expertise. Because I was a, I'm a civil structural engineer. I'm not a biologist. I'm not even a physicist. I'm not a chemist, right? But creating a platform where we can elevate other people who are aligned in those fields, I felt could bring about an even greater impact. And so that's what STEM media was, an organic passion and desire to do that, that started uh, over 10 years ago now. Wow. 10 years into it. Yeah. How are you feeling about it right now? Oh, I, hey, I feel better than ever. I, uh, I'm, I'm betting heavy on it. <laughs> I'm all in. So, so yeah, that's good. That's, that's good. So when it when it started out, you know, was it kind of just an idea to kind of give back, or did you from the outset say this is gonna this is gonna be a business, and this is you know not only going to be beneficial to other people, but this is something that I, you know I can make a career or a business out of? Yeah, I didn't know it would be a business, and and that's part of again even with with representation. I didn't know a whole lot of entrepreneurs. I didn't know the process of, of starting a business. I knew how to start an initiative. I knew how to do extracurricular activities. And so I remember, you know, like it was yesterday, there was this um, stay with it for engineering, right? This engineering stay with it campaign launched by Intel, MTV, Facebook, I believe was a part of it. And I was a newly uh, grad student, PhD student at NC State University. And they were calling for the students to produce content more specifically a video to encourage other students to stay with engineering. And so for me, being the creative person that I always felt I was, um, I had a background in improv, storytelling, and things of that nature, but also pursuing this field of engineering. I said, right, it's time to create something to do this. This is right in my alley. They might as well said, Nehemiah, can you do something for us? Because I responded to it with such uh, veracity and um, got a friend of mine, we recorded this video and long story short, it won the national grand prize from Intel, one like wow. a laptop. Yeah, it was featured on MCV. Uh, it was it was really dope, right? And that's um, cool. Yeah, that was sort of the validation of the idea, Trevor. That was that was validation of the idea. But after that, people started saying, and I'll credit Dean Louis Martin Vega, the dean at NC State College of Engineering, was saying, "Oh man, I, I'm glad your business is doing this." And he would tell people, "Hey, he has a business," and, and that used to kind of scare me a little bit because I was like, I, "I don't have a business. That's just." 
I just made, I just make videos, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so that's really what prompted me into like, okay, how do I make this a business? How do I actually incorporate it? How do I set up some sort of like business model so I can get paid and sustain this long term? So that was the process that took place after the idea was validated. Yeah, well, that that's a great question because I think you know for a lot of our listeners to the Founder Shares podcast, these are the people that are listening. You know, I, I want to start a business. I got an idea. Yeah, but I'm not a business person. You know, I'm I'm a teacher. I'm a, a programmer. I'm a stay at home parent. Whatever it is, but it's yeah. like, all right. So now, what's that first step? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you that question. So once you realized, okay, I got an idea. It's been validated. I need to start a business. You know, day one. What's what's your first step to kind of get started? Yeah, well, well, first of all, I, I would like to just increase someone's confidence by saying, hey, you, the core operations of a business, like the, the, the delivering of value, if you've already done something for someone that they thank you, that they really, man, you really helped me solve this problem. If you've ever provided value in a way a person was like, man, I, I'll give you some money right now, whatever, like you already can run a business. You just need structure around mm-hmm. it, right? And as a structural engineer, you know, we're, we may be thinking about your columns and your beams and things like that. Well, you just need to build that, your foundation. And those things are the legal process. So make sure you're solving a problem for people, right? right? Make sure you're actually doing something that people want or need done. And more than just one person, but something that a, a group of people, an entire market, as we call it, of people need done. So just make sure you can av- validate that. But then from there, it's a matter of incorporating going to the secretary of state, filling out a form, paying a nominal fee. What are you going to name it? Let's make sure that name isn't taken by somebody else. I recommend getting with someone that's either an accountant or involved in law that can help you apply for an EIN number, which is like a social security number. And I don't know, this may have been shared on the podcast several times. No, I mean, you, I, I should hire you to go out and talk to our clients because you're, oh, you know, you're telling them all the good stuff. So I know, that's what it is. You get a social security number, AKA EIN number for your business. Um, you take that, you take your, your registration and you take that number and you go get to a bank account so that it doesn't get mixed up. The money that you spend on business is clearly in the business account and not with your personal stuff. You know, there are probably a few other things, but that's pretty much the main things in terms of like, again, structure, business, foundation, all that. Now you have to just systematize your marketing, systematize your delivery of the services or the product that you start your business around. And it's really simple. It's really simple, but when you haven't done it before and you don't know anyone else that has done it, it can feel very intimidating. Yeah, I think it really is. I think there's just this so much the sense of the unknown. You mm-hmm. know, what am I missing? What have I forgotten? What did I not even know to ask? And so I think it is always important to just one step at a time, ask a lot of questions, surround yourself with good support people and and you know, you just take it and do the steps that you need to do to get started. But don't let that fear of what's out there to keep you from taking that first step. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell me a little bit. So like, you know, with a with kind of a content heavy business, it feels intimidating in some respects because you've got to constantly be generating kind of new yeah. content. So I guess talk to a little bit about that and how you've kind of surrounded yourself with, with folks to help you build out that content. Because like you said, you're an engineer, you might not be able to do the, the biology or the chemistry or how, how do you kind of find the people to support your your vision? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I guess I'll say this, too, in the last year or two, and I can come back to it. We have begun to pivot to more of an ed tech model, which allows us to scale what we're doing a little bit more and not just always taste production projects. To your point, I've always said I was the most, and you may see me in a lot of STEM media content, particularly the early content, 
because I was the most accessible subject matter expert, right? <laughs> but again, there's a lot of areas that I cover and a lot of areas that I don't cover as sufficiently. So building a presence online, this is where building a brand, building a network, hosting a podcast, doing interviews, um, networking at the end of the day, building relationships really comes in hand because then you get to know kind of mentally individuals that are strong in areas where your strengths are really non-existent. And so reaching out to those people who are, for me, it's been important to find people who are not only technically intelligent, but also have the the creativity, right, to be able to present in a way that's engaging. It's not like, not going to put you to sleep, right? Right. (laughs) So that being said, I've been privileged to be able to build this network for the past 10 years in STEM media through interviews, through going to events, through all the content we put out outside of the four clients, that now we have a very, very healthy network of people in all types of STEM fields that can be called on to do voiceover work, to present uh, a message, to do a course, to even edit and film video, right? So that's how it's been done. So talk to me a little bit, because it seems to me that there's a certain amount of challenge in creating a business around kind of education and kind of mentoring and encouraging people, because you know, especially in these days with the internet, there's just so much information that's out there that mm-hmm. people potentially can get for free. How do you go about making a business around promoting STEM education? Yeah, no, you're right. So much information is for free. And there are a couple of things that are value adds to starting a content-based business. One is, we talked about this, the cultural mm-hmm. resonance, to be able to create information and package it in a way that connects with who someone is as an individual. Because at the end of the day, yeah, you may be able to learn Python in several places, but there's a certain teacher that when they teach you Python, for some reason, they just seem to know exactly where you're coming from. Right. Right? Maybe you look at them and you're like, man, the references they're using, the analogies they're using, the, the cadence of what they're talking, or just their sense of humor. Like, it resonates with me in a different way so that I'm more engaged, I'm more attentive, and, and the lessons seem a little bit easier than if I just kind of read an article or something of that nature. So that's not the one of the things, right? I think that's a value that people are probably starting to realize, the contextualization of that information, right? Other thing is, and this is still contextualization, but the organization, right, of that information. Yeah, you could probably find every single thing I learned in my engineering program online for free. But the university had it in a way to where you take these classes, then you take these classes, and then within these classes, here's the syllabus where you start here, and by the end of the semester, you would have learned this, 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 and this, right? So someone taking the initiative to take the, organ- the information and organize it in a succinct, progressive way for you to, by the end of it, have clearly understood a majority of a given topic is a value add, no matter where you can find the information. And so those are two things I would say. The third thing I would say really quick is just that the community around it. We talked about it a little earlier, but a large part of succeeding in something is not just it being made available, but to also be on a journey or to feel like you're on a journey with several other people heading in the same direction. That That's huge infinity because you can go out and eventually you just feel like, you know, I'm, I'm by myself and oh well. But there's inherent accountability. There's inherent inspiration. There's inherent just affirmation when you need it that comes from doing things in a community versus doing it alone. So these are some of the things that I believe the media provides in addition to just 
whatever you might find on YouTube. So how did you go about, because I think the community is a huge aspect of it. How do you go out and kind of attract that community? What were some of the steps you took either from marketing or from just kind of word of mouth to, to get that community in place so it can continue to kind of have that almost a snowball effect? Yeah, yeah. Well, some of it's strategic and some of it is just by nature of being active. Right. And I'll start there. Like just putting yourself out there. Like I, I, a lot of people know me, know that like for some reason I don't get embarrassed by like, I say, hey, what's up? I try to start a conversation with somebody and they don't want to have a conversation with me. And I'm like, all right, cool. I just keep it moving. Right. Like, that doesn't like diminish. So I am one who I like put myself out there quite a bit. And after doing it for so long, no matter what the conversion rate of people who actually want to talk to you or actually be your friends, um, you're going to build up a, a significant, sizable community from there. Right. Yeah. So that's one thing. Like, just put yourself out there. Who cares? What if they laugh? All right. Well, <laughs> You don't put anything out there. If you don't put yourself out there, they'll never, you'll never know, right? Yeah. So putting yourself out there over time. And then I would say more strategically, I think what you're doing right now is part of it. I started 2018, I want to say, something called STEM Media Live. This was on Instagram, where I literally just reached out to people who were, who I said got it. Like in my mind, I'm, like, I'm looking at their content, looking at how they present themselves. I'm like, oh, they get it. And I would just invite them to have a chat with me every Sunday night on Instagram Live. And over time, I would just meet more and more of the who's who throughout the STEM community. Um, not just the who's who, but those who were, again, technically intelligent, but also creatively aligned. And over time, you start seeing people, they know this person, and you just continue to just know people. And so, hey, man, we're we're getting to know each other now, uh, building each other's network just from this conversation. And I think that, you know, that's a very good strategic way to build a community. 100%. And I also have to give a shout out to your Instagram feed because I just was like in prep for this, kind of flipping through it. And it's a, it's a fun follow. So it's a, it's a good oh, place to so check out more about the company. Thank you. Thank yeah. You. So I, I wanted to ask to kind of what what would you consider your first sale? Is that is that conceptually something that makes sense? Yeah. To you? Yeah. What, I, what I, was I, your first sale? There was this robotics program downtown Raleigh, North Carolina, and it was called the Capital City. I don't know if this organization still exists. The Capital City Intergenerational Program. So their whole premise was getting young people to interact with seniors and things like that. And they had a robotic program and they just wanted a marketing video. And so I remember getting asked, hey, you have a company. I heard about you. Da, 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 da. This is after I won the contest. Uh, how much you charge me? And I don't know what to charge. I didn't know what to charge. I didn't even know how to like make the deal happen. I, you know, this is your first time. but. I ended up charging very little. Let me just say that. And afterwards, the lady pulled me aside. She paid me. She did it. Everything was good. But she's like, all right, first of all, you should ask me for a deposit. Second of all, how, like, how do you know that I wasn't going to change? You know, like she kind of gave me some tips after that. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I will do that next time. Yeah. But that was my first sale, though, nevertheless. That, that's so cool, though. But I also think it's important because I do think – each sale, each interaction, you get, there's something you can learn from it. So, you know, for your point, half, most of the time in your first sale, whatever you're going to, it's going to be so low and you're going to, but you're going to learn from it. You're going to say, okay, the next time I'm going to do this or next time I'm going to do that. And yep. sometimes I see it with our clients too. You know, they, they have a bad situation. They didn't have a contract in place and yep. so they didn't get a deposit and so they lose out on some money. Yeah. that That's bad for the business in general, but that's also a learning opportunity. You know, next time, all right, next time I got to have this in place. I got to have some agreements in place. I got to have 
expectations set up front about what's being provided. So I, I just think there's an opportunity, even through mistakes, to kind of learn how to shape your business going forward. I couldn't agree more, Trevor. And I think you got to have the confidence that, because sometimes knowing that there are things you don't know can still make you afraid. Like, you know, I, I don't want to lose out on money. It's like, well, that's almost like the tuition itself. Like, what the map, the amount that I should have charged that I didn't charge was my tuition for learning the lessons I got after that project. So just go ahead and yeah, do I, it. I, I love that mindset. Just yeah. it's the tuition. I just paid my tuition right there. My tuition. That, that's great. So I, I understand. So STEM Media started up in 2012. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about kind of how did the pandemic interfere much, or did it kind of? I mean, as a online presence, did it kind of pr- present opportunities for you? I'm going to say opportunity because the pandemic really pushed and accelerated the direction we're headed now as a net tech platform. And that's really what it came down to. At the beginning of 2020, there were a number of clients lined up, you know, <laughs> there were some projects like, oh, man, this is going to look good. This is off to a good start. But when things shut down, you know, you just start seeing those things evaporate. I would say, though, um, I was still a nine to five engineer and a lot of my work was still, you know, nights and weekends. Um, but it was really during the pandemic, A, that I began to, so far as a civil engineer, I don't know if you noticed, but like construction work and a lot of stuff in our bridges and our roads increased. Like it was like, oh, no one's on the road. Uh, let's let's get this stuff done. This is our chance. <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, like while people were like bored, I was kind of envious of people who were bored at home. I was like, I went home and worked way more hours than I worked off in the office. It was crazy. And so that was sort of like, that was kind of an adjacent of like coming to a head with like, man, like the, the room to be able to operate a business on the side feels like it's getting smaller and smaller. And I had an incredible company. I was happy with my job, but it's just, I started working a whole lot of overtime and that was just kind of like tough from a, like a balancing standpoint. But also given the fact that online education, online education, the way that we educate and engage our audience is increasingly digital now. By necessity, it was already headed that direction prior to the pandemic, but this like went on over, you know, <laughs> hyperspeed at that point. Really pushed me to the point of saying, "All right, now we really need to start that that platform. We really need to become tech enabled. We need to create a solution where we can deliver content uh, for multiple clients, multiple customers that doesn't require us to show up on set to film it for every single time we get a sale." You know what I mean? And so um, it pushed that. That's when the the STEM Media Network, it's our app right now. Right now we have an MVP available on Google Play, Apple's App Store, also Roku. So check that out, Roku channel. But that's when that was born. And that model that we're still actively pouring into and looking to expand. I want to say it came as a result of the pandemic, but it was definitely, um, it was activated in the pandemic. But I know you still, I, I believe you do anyway, that you still have kind of like in-person summits as well. Yeah, we do all that. Yeah, is that an important piece of that? How do, how do you see those two as interrelational? Yeah, so there's sort of a two-sided marketplace. So we ultimately, I got inspired, the whole why behind this is for the individual student, aspiring young professional. And so everything we do is ultimately to try to elevate and empower the individual that's watching our content, that's consuming our edutainment, right? The things that we put on. So we do this through workshops. We have an annual summit called the STEM Success Summit. This year we did the fourth year. First year, first three years were like totally virtual. This past year was hybrid. We were in Atlanta, Georgia. 
that's how like more and more people of like mind who can stand to benefit from that community, not just the content, but the community and the opportunities that come through it. That's where that's built, right? Through these type of um, offline and even online, we have a thing called the STEM Poetry Slam. We annually bring people together. We do poetry, spoken word, all around like scientific and technical topics. These events, we put out content on a regular basis, still interviewing people. All that is still what we do because that's how, that's the top of funnel, right? That's the top of funnel for our network and our community. Now, when it comes to the scalable side of our business, and I, I don't believe that will ever leave, at least not from who I am as a person, but to build a business whose ceiling or, or let's just say like potential, financial potential is solely based on solely individuals, it can kind of get tough when your desire is to help as many people as possible. Like if you were doing something that was like, and this is this is my perspective on it. If you're doing something that was high ticket, I'm only going to work with executives. You know, you may be able to like really bring some pretty high revenue in, but that's not necessarily a broad strategy. You know what I mean? When it comes to like a whole bunch of people, I, I actually do want the, the underrepresented person to be able to be exposed to our content that may live in rural parts that don't necessarily have the budget. So I set up by that to say our business model is now really looking to continue to uh, monetize more of the B2B side of things, the institutions, as well as the corporations that also see value in this audience. Yep. We don't want the barrier to be so high for the audience to become a part of the community. But we want to instead increase our revenue by being able to say, here's some people you can recruit. Here's some people you can advertise to. Here are things you can sponsor. So that now you don't have to worry about trying to develop your own community. We have one here that stands to benefit. And so there's there's kind of a, a win-win there that we're trying to create. I think that makes a lot of sense and creates kind of new opportunities again, just once to, to expand that message and reach more people. Yeah. Now, am I correct in understanding that you're kind of out there right now looking for, for additional funding? Yeah, yeah. Predominantly for the platform, right? The tech-enabled platform. So right now... Uh our platform, as I said, it's an MVP. It gets the content. It can be viewed. It can be accessed. As we continue to serve the B2B side of our business, the, the corporations, um, there are more things that we need to develop to make it more usable. It's usable, but to make it a, a better experience for those customers. And that, that requires development. That requires funding. That requires some additional hires. That requires some more time my time and others being devoted to customer discovery, the business development, which revenue is coming in through content production. We don't want that to stop, but we also need to be able to get ahead of the curve over here. So yeah, that's why we're trying to raise money. How have you found the fundraising process? Because it's it's a whole different animal to the to run on the business in some respects. Oh man, this <laughs> I feel like that could be a whole other podcast episode. Trevor, I'm beyond. <laughs> <laughs> Version two, let's go. I'm Episode saying, two. Uh, it's a whole other ringer. I'm going to be honest with you. It's it's another type of sales process. And it's another type of um, presentation of value. Like you could say, hey, we're doing this summit. You can get these type of workshops. That's cool for the individual. But the investor, it's like, okay, how am I going to make more money? <laughs> right? You want to talk about that. So. Yeah, it's, it's been a learning process. It's been edifying in a number of ways, too, because it has allowed me to be, get better and better at articulating what we are as a, as a business. 
Yeah, I mean, I think especially for kind of new entrepreneurs or kind of people kind of just getting into this, I don't think it's often realized what you just said, you yeah. know, that the actual act of a fundraising, it is a sales process. Yes. And sometimes it is a full-time job in addition to your other full-time job to have to go out and build those relationships, not just with your customer base, but with the, the folks that you're looking to, to put some money into your company and help you to get to that next level. Yeah. So I, I did want to go back and ask one question, though, because you talked about kind of working still kind of as an as an engineer and having this as a side gig. At what point in time were you like, you know, I can I can make that transition. I think this this is where I want to put my time and energy. And I think it's got enough legs to kind of go for it. Yeah. Halfway through the pandemic, right. Halfway through, you know, the whole shutdowns that relates to COVID. When for me, I, I have a mentor who said. You can't do it no more when you can't do it no more. <laughs> like, like it is literally physical, physically impossible to do both now. And I feel like, again, with the overtime and all this, like, increased demand on that side, I was like, you know, something's got to give. For me, it was a very spiritual process as well. Um, I'm a man of faith, and I believe in, like, you know, seeking God on these type of decisions. So I talked to my wife. All those things, right? You want to make sure that if you if you are uh, married or whatever, like in partnership with someone, you don't want to catch them off guard either. You want to make sure that there's some sort of agreement there <laughs> too. So that's that's very practical. Let me say yep. that. I don't care how passionate you are. Like if you want to stay in that partnership, at least you want to make sure that there's a there's some understanding there. So I had to make sure I did all those check boxes, right? Uh, again, you know, just pearls of wisdom there because I think. I don't know that everybody appreciates that, you know, the, the role of entrepreneurship, you know, you've got to have some buying and support from the family around you or whoever it is that you're in relationship with, because, you know, it's not a nine to five job. It's not a, you know, it can be all consuming. So you need some support and, you know, a backing from those around you. Yes. Yes. Because they're going to be sacrificing too. You just 100%. Yeah. So tell me this, you know, if, if we came back five years from now, do a kind of follow up episode on this. What do you hope we would be talking about? Oh, we'll be talking about recur annual recurring revenue, our SaaS, B2B SaaS platform, and how we've been able to launch a number of uh, courses and shows and modules and experiences that are even furthermore impacting a uh, multiple size bigger audience than what we currently impact. That's what we'll be talking about. I think it sounds great. I look forward to that conversation too. So what do you think are going to be the steps to, to kind of get you from, from here to there? Building a bigger team. That's going to be part of it. And that team is going to have roles of investors, strategic partners, employees, right? So that's one of the steps, building a bigger team. I think another step is getting better at the sales process. Like that doesn't necessarily turn off, right? And, and even though we're in the same industry, the things that we're going to be selling may be changing. Our pitch will be modified. So honing in that sales pitch, become better at converting people who may know of us, but have not necessarily transitioned with us through our new model. So that's another step. I would say that me becoming a better leader, period, is going to be a step too. Just, being a, just become a better leader. I can talk about times where, in hindsight, I feel like my leadership is what stopped something from reaching the potential. And not like I was doing something bad or unethical. I just didn't have that, those skills yet of being able to manage what I was trying to accomplish at that time. 
So if I want to get there, I have to grow as an individual, as a leader, to be able to um, manage and, and lead this vision that I'm, I'm pointing towards as well. So those are a few, I believe, practical steps that need to be taken. So do you have an example? I, I, I think that's interesting to me. And, that you know, I think it's, oh, you it's want great, to great awareness of like, but where was it that you're just like, oh, I feel like my leadership wasn't what it needed to be right here. I've had times where I'll kind of speak in generalities, but these definitely are based on specific moments. But this is a recurring moment where I've had a number of talented people who are like, hey, I want to help you achieve this goal. Like, what do you want me to do? And I've just been like, uh, yeah, hold on. I don't know yet. Let me let me figure this out. Right. And so, like, I sort of like didn't steward the incredible, gifted, talented group of individuals that I had that eventually not on some personal stuff, but eventually they're just like, oh, OK. All right. I'm going to go ahead and go over here and help this other cause. Right. Because you didn't really know what to do with me. Right. And I think that's a leadership quality to be able to. Not just inspire people, because I may have done that. That's why they came in the first place. But to be able to identify where their strengths can fit in so that all these individuals can ultimately contribute to the same outcome, even though the strengths and the personalities, the angles at which they attack something may be a little bit different. And I think that's a leadership skill to be able to see that and make calls and, and move things around in that regard. And I didn't, I didn't have that ability at the time. Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the transparency because I just think it's important as well. I feel like sometimes that, that role of founder, that role of CEO can be very isolating and there can be that pressure to feel like I've got to be good at everything and I'm always yeah. going to be perfect and I've always got to have this down. Oh, even if I don't, I can't project that to my company or I can't project that to other people. But yeah. the reality is, is it's a learning process just like the founding of the business and you're yeah. going to make mistakes and you're going to learn from those and, and hopefully do better next time. Give yourself grace. Um, I think that's that's the key, too, because if I look back on those those times and I just got down on myself, that could really hurt me. But I'm like, hey, I'm still learning. I'm still growing as a leader. <laughs> I might not get it right now. Right. But you got to be able to keep going. Yeah. Give yourself grace. 100 percent of buying to that. Everybody needs grace. And sometimes that starts with giving yourself some grace. 100 percent. So we are the Founder Shares podcast. And so I always like to ask our guests if, you know, if you had one piece of advice that you wanted to share with somebody who was thinking about starting a company, what would that advice be? Stay with it. You're not going to win the entire season at one time. <laughs> like, you know, it, it's a <laughs> long, right. long journey. It's a lot of different steps along the way. There are wins and losses. There's ups and downs. But you got to stay with it. And I know that there are a number of people who are way more gifted, who are currently way more gifted. Um, but one thing that I have that has been a key to my success so far, and I know will be a key to my success in the future, is the ability to stay with it. So that's what I would say. Stay with it. I like it. Stay with it. It's so important. And in and it just, I don't know, It's it sounds it's short, concise, and it sounds easy to do, but sometimes that's the hardest thing to do is just take yep. that next step and get back into it. Yeah, yeah. So I understand you've got a podcast. So if our if our listeners here want to check you out on your podcast, you know what, what's that? What's that all about? Well, we, we got a lot going on, man. Uh, Skim Media is something you can just Google one word with one M S T E M E D I A. Um, we've been producing a podcast for the last year, um, interviewing some of the most inspirational and creative people in the STEM community. 
Um, but in addition to that, we have a YouTube channel, which I like to point people to, youtube.com slash STEM Media. Uh, we're on Instagram under the same name, Twitter under the same name or handle. And we're always putting out things, whether it be for us or people that we partner with, that you can come and get a different perspective, right, on what it means to be a scientist, an engineer, a person in tech, a mathematician, right? Someone who's in these technical fields, but yet you still got, got a little attractive swag to you. So come check us out. That was Dr. Nehemiah Mabry, founder and CEO of STEM Media, which you can find out more about at stemmedia.com. That's S-T-E-M-E-D-I-A.com. Or follow along on social media at STEM Media. If you're a founder or business owner and need legal advice, we'd love to hear from you. You can start by visiting our website at hutchlaw.com. That's H-U-T-C-H-L-A-W.com. We have the capacity to help you out with just about any legal need your company may be facing. We're passionate about the innovation economy and ready to help you on your entrepreneurial journey. This show was edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Trevor Schmidt, and we'll talk to you next time on the Founder Shares Podcast.